0: We tried everything as Syrians. We escaped to the sea and it swallowed us. We tried air and we fall. Now the whole earth is shaking beneath us.
1: Oh, hey, Malcolm. What are you listening to?
2: Oh, hey, Irina. Oh, this is a section of an interview with Hassan al kontar the man in the airport, the Syrian refugee we did a story about who was stuck in the airport for 60 days while he tried to get asylum.
1: Oh yes, I remember. He finally was welcomed in Canada and later became a Red Cross volunteer, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, I interviewed him for our podcast series.
1: Oh, cool. So just to inform our audience who are just tuning in, in this series we reached out to some of the most inspiring people we've talked to over the years and see how they are doing and to reflect on the changes going on in our humanitarian world.
2: You're listening to the Red Cross Red Crescent magazine podcast. Maybe we should remind our audience too about who Hassan is. Let me play a soundbite from the video we made.
1: A Syrian man is stuck in an airport, unable to leave.
2: For 133 days, Hassan al Kantar has been stranded at the Kuala Lumpur airport. The 36 year old has taken to video blogging life inside the airport.
0: Hello, as you can hear, I am uh, at the airport.
2: Now a volunteer group is trying to bring him to Canada.
1: Yeah, what an amazing story. I'd love to hear that interview.
2: Well, here, let me play it for you. I called him up. Hassan, hello? Hi, Hassan, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good, good. Um, Hassan, the last time we spoke was about two years ago, and you were volunteering, doing COVID testing and vaccination, for the Canadian Red Cross. Your book had just come out. So how have you been since then? What have you been up to since, since that time?
0: Uh, still busy as, uh, as ever. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, still busy as ever. Um, when I first arrived to Canada, I thought that it's a new start. It's the end of my story. Let me uh, chill now, try to establish my roots, uh, to have a place where I can call home. Turned out that I was wrong. I was all over BC Canada since that time. I did not spend much time at my house. I'm uh, living for the most of it in hotels and uh, uh, driving all around the place. I'm still engaged uh, in public speaking for universities and schools, fundraising also for refugees. So I have been busy, uh, but what a man without a motive or without a dream. It's, uh, I think it's my destiny. It's our destiny as newcomers and refugees to keep proving ourselves and to work to uh, develop our skills and to adapt to the society we are living in.
2: Yeah, well, it's great to hear that you've been you know, moving around uh, freely. I mean, you're someone who knows a lot about being confined and restricted. But now it sounds like almost like too much movement. You've got too much going on.
0: Even on a personal level, I have too much going on. Uh, I I was finally able to move my family out of Syria Uh, for the last six months. They are now temporarily safe uh in in egypt they are starting a new life and uh with the new beginnings come uh, comes a new challenges and uh, the, the, they need school uh, for the kids uh, kindergartens, the health health insurance uh, a house with the furnitures uh, and everything else so uh there is a lot going on. That's correct, but I feel happy about it, and I feel proud because it's a sort of achievement. Uh, things are moving forward, and uh, uh, so I'm working on that. And on a personal level, Red Cross. Now I'm working in a different operation, which is uh, flood recovery. I'm a case management uh, manager now, and I feel happy about the experience I'm gaining uh, with all the small details which allow me to understand, to fully understand the society and the communities I'm living in. Do I want more? Yes. Do I dream of more? Yes. Do I know what I want in the future? Absolutely. Am Am I working on it? I am. Are there disappointments? A lot, but it's life. And we need to keep working on our goals to wake up the next day, have a cup of coffee and start all over again. You say you know what you want in the future.
2: Not everyone has that clarity of vision. What is it that you want in the future?
0: So I see myself after the experience as an emergency care worker, as a case manager, as a supervisor, to one day go back to where they need me the most, to my own people in refugee camps and uh, try to help there because... Uh, that's where I see myself, uh, especially after the earthquake in, in northern Syria and um, uh, Turkey, and, uh, which uh, had a significant emotional effect on me since that day I'm, I'm not the same guy anymore. Uh, and I feel yet again uh, helpless. The Syria conflict seems to be something that
2: has almost been off the radar. Other things have come along like COVID, Ukraine. Uh, etc. And the earthquake kind of reminds us that those those people who are still suffering there have not been able to, to really move on. They're still there. And now they've been hit with this additional um, nightmare.
0: We tried everything as Syrians. We escaped to the sea and it swallowed us. We tried air and we fall. Now the whole Earth is shaking beneath us. There is absolutely no place to go. Uh, Earth, land, sea, air, there is no place for us anymore. And uh, we are not even solving the refugee crisis, we are adding to it, now we have the Ukrainian. And whenever we have a new refugee crisis, we totally forget and abandon the, the, the old one and move forward. We are accumulating it. We are not solving it. What do you think needs
2: to fundamentally happen to kind of reframe the way we think about migration, people on the move, asylum seekers, refugees?
0: On on, on a general scale, we at least should have uh, an open discussion. We should uh, reopen and revisit the refugee crisis. We need to hold. Uh, uh, these, these governments and authorities and accountability for their action, and we need to uh, recognize the problem, to call it as it is, and to start looking into uh, into solutions. From a Red Cross, Red Crescent point of view, I would love them to hear us out. The, the, the workers who work within the organization and have a refugee background. We know our people. We know how to communicate. We know what they want. We know how to be emotionally and mentally supportive. We know the traditions, the habits, the religions, and the differences. Uh, we know how to talk to these people. And would we would be uh, an additional value if you give us the opportunity to work on the front line there uh, or in any different department because you will not find more passionate people uh, uh, to do uh, um, more than us, so.
2: So are you ready for another personal question, Hassan? Oh, sure. (laughs) And I remember in the video that we made two years ago, there's a sequence where you're calling your family, you're talking to your mom, and at some point you turn to the cameraman and you say, you wanna bet my mom is gonna ask whether I've met someone? And then of course, two minutes later into the conversation, she asks, so, so Hassan, have you met someone? And then you, you kind of laugh because she did exactly what she said. Well, um, and so you know where I'm going. Well, um,
0: <laughs> is there an update, Hassan, that you can tell us about? You may, Anything you want to share? Be pleased to know that uh, it's still her first question. So it's the only thing in her mind. So she is um, advocate. I think, she is advocating for it. I think it's not that I'm against it, but I believe in priority. And there is something important, but there are other things that's more important. For now, I need to make sure that they are safe, permanently safe. My niece has a school, my nephew has a university. Uh, So just I need to focus and make sure that they are safe. Uh, For the last three years, I have been only on the road and I'm not actually living anywhere for more than a month or two. So it's, it's, uh, it's hard to, to start a relationship when you are all over the place. But I still love it, but I still love it. And I love the road trips now. I listen to country music and uh, I keep experiencing the wildlife here in Canada. And it's not a bad bad place to drive, especially during during the summer with all the lakes and uh, the forests, mountains. So I think, and I still genuinely believe that I'm one of the luckiest. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity and for listening, for giving me the platform. And I truly appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Wow, that was really interesting. What Hassan was saying about the earthquake in Syria and Turkey was really powerful. I wonder if we should check in with another Syrian refugee we interviewed a few years ago, who is living in Turkey.
2: Who do you have in mind?
1: I was actually thinking of Huda, who was part of the Recipes for Brazilian series, where people around the world taught us how to cook their favorite comfort foods, remember?
2: Oh yeah, she was participating in a Turkish Red Crescent livelihoods program, right? She got a cash grant to start a cooking business, I think.
1: Exactly, it was a great story about inclusion, livelihoods, and food security.
2: Let's play a segment of the music from Huda's recipe video to get us in the mood. Huda showed us how to make such a delicious dish. You can check out the recipe on our website, rcrcmagazine.org. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. So Huda, the last time we were in contact was about two and a half years ago, and a lot has happened since then. Tell us, how are you doing?
1: Thank God I was doing very well before the earthquake. I was working from home and I had almost 100 customers. Everyone was buying the dishes I was preparing. But after the earthquake, most of my customers left Karamang Maraj. Some of them sadly passed away. I could no longer sustain the business like before. I tried to start a business with a partner, but they were hesitant. And then came the earthquake, which ruined my plan.
2: And how about after this horrible earthquake, um, is your family okay?
1: We are fine, thankfully. We live in a mountainous area that wasn't heavily affected by the earthquake.
2: And how about your relatives? Were were they exposed to dangers from the earthquake?
1: My brother-in-law's family were rescued from under the rubble after their house had collapsed. They moved to a house where our relatives used to live before they moved from Turkey to Africa. My other brother-in-law's family are living in a tent. As for me, I live with my daughter's family.
2: Huda, you took part in cooking courses offered by the Turkish Red Crescent at their community centers. What was that like for you? Was that useful for you?
1: Uh, Yes, a lot. I didn't know how to buy and sell my dishes before I had taken this course. I learned Turkish traditions and I felt included within the Turkish community. They brought together people from Turkey and Syria and I learned from both. I learned a lot about the Turkish community, and they even organized a cooking festival in which I was able to sell food that I had prepared at home. I sold alongside other Turkish people who became my friends. It was a great initiative.
2: Ah, so were you then inspired to create new recipes?
0: Yes, very
1: true. I combined Turkish and Syrian recipes, and the customers loved it. Even Turkish people were buying from me after they had heard from other people that my cooking is great. They said, that they would love to try it, which of course I didn't mind at all.
2: Huda, the last time we had an interview, you mentioned that you dreamed of starting your own cooking business. Is that still possible under the current circumstances?
1: I am still doing it, but my dream of opening my own restaurant hasn't come true because of the
2: earthquake. Ah, so do you have customers buying from you now?
1: I still have customers, but they haven't come back to Karamang Maraj. So perhaps when they come back, but there's very little hope.
2: Oh, so some people have fled the area then.
1: Yes. Some people moved to Istanbul, Bursa, and Mersin. Others passed away. I only have two customers left now.
2: Ah, so the situation's gotten worse after the earthquake, yeah.
1: Much worse. The situation's been very difficult after the earthquake.
2: So you mentioned that you have this dream uh, of opening your own restaurant where you could serve Syrian and Turkish dishes. Is that something you still hope to do?
1: Of course, I still aspire to do it. We currently have a Turkish family living with us at home, and I'm serving them both Syrian and Turkish dishes.
2: Huda, I think a lot of talented and passionate people would love to open their own small business or project. What would you say to advise, to advise them?
1: To persist and keep going until they see their dreams come true. In the month of Ramadan, I cooked and distributed food to 200 people without expecting anything in return. Hold on to your ambitions and don't give up early on stay strong in front of the challenges that lie ahead.
2: And you went through a lot of hard times and so many challenges from the war in Syria to the recent earthquake. What would you like to say finally to people who are facing challenges today and what keeps you going?
1: My children keep me going. I want my daughter to continue her university studies during these difficult times, and I want to help her achieve her dreams. By pursuing my own dreams, I can support my children and other people to pursue their own. This is what makes me happy, helping others and providing all the support they need to achieve their goals. Wow, people like Huda really inspire me. They keep going despite the difficulties, no?
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm so glad we've been able to share stories like that again in this podcast series.
1: The series continues with Episode 2 next week, so stay tuned.
2: We'd like to thank the Canadian Red Cross for their support with the story about Hassan Al-Kontar.
1: And thanks to Joe Baklini with IFRC and Turkish Red Cross and colleagues for their support with the interview with
2: Huda. See you next time. See
1: you next time.